One day after his resurrection, while Jesus was eating a meal with his disciples, he told them that they would soon be given power to take his message all over the world. They would be given the Holy Spirit of God, he said. After he said this, Jesus flew up into the sky right in front of them, and they did not see him again. So the disciples waited and prayed. Ten days later, they were gathered, and a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house. They looked around and saw what looked like tongues of fire dancing above each of them. They all began to speak in different languages, causing such a commotion that a crowd gathered to see what was going on. Someone accused them of being drunk, so Peter stood up to say something. He told them that they were not drunk, but that God had given them the power of his spirit. He recounted the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and told the people to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. That day, 3,000 people believed what he said and became followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus ate meals and prayed together almost every day. Amazing things continued to happen. People were being healed. Others were selling their possessions and giving their money to the poor. The number of people who joined them just kept growing and growing. The disciples, now called apostles, began teaching in the Jewish temples. This angered the religious leaders. Several times they beat up the apostles and threw them in jail. One religious leader in particular, named Saul, was determined to destroy this new movement of Jesus' followers. So he went from house to house in the region and arrested those claiming to follow Jesus. Then one day, while Saul was walking down the street, a bright light from the sky flashed. As he fell to the ground, he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus commanded Saul to get up and go to the city of Damascus. Saul got up, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. With some help, Saul traveled to Damascus, where he met a man named Ananias. Ananias placed his hands on Saul, and something sort of like scales fell from his eyes. Suddenly he could see again. Ananias told him that Jesus had orchestrated all of this so Saul could receive the Holy Spirit. This experience completely changed Saul's life. He became a follower of Jesus. Soon, Saul would set out on an extraordinary journey to tell others about Jesus. Stu Follendorf had his own Damascus Road experience. He was getting ready to make a fortune. In less than a week, the company he was a part of was going to have its IPO, and he would instantly become a millionaire. Yet as he sat in a hotel room in London, he wasn't thinking about the millions. He was thinking about the conversation he had had with his co-workers earlier that night. While walking through the streets of London, the comment was made, think about all the lives that would have been saved without religion. This world would be a much better place without it. In the hotel room later that night, he couldn't get that statement out of his head. 
He tells the story. Then a question reverberated deep inside. What would the world be like without Jesus Christ? I wrestled with it and I couldn't shake it. Sure, I thought, the world is a broken and depraved place where wars and violence are common. Sure, there is suffering and endless heartache, but what would the world be like without Jesus Christ? Sitting in that luxurious chair, I reflected on the high and low points of my life. I thought especially about my quest for autonomy and self-sufficiency and how it ended up enslaving me in the pursuit of wealth and other material things. Then my wife Trish came to mind. She was a Christian, and truth be told, I had persecuted her for it. I had seen her reading her Bible in the morning, and so I would make snide comments. I had called her a Bible thumper, a Jesus freak. Our marriage was struggling mightily because, in biblical terms, we were unequally yoked. But what would her life be like without Jesus? Her joy seemed to come from something she realized she didn't earn, How could she be joyful in anything if she didn't earn it? That's not how I saw life. I realized that up to that point, I had invested all my intellectual energies into the idea that God didn't exist. Because if he did, where did that leave me? I had put all my stock into myself, my self-sufficiency, and my business acumen. Looking at the clock, I realized that I'd been lost in thought for about two hours. And suddenly... I felt a warm wave of energy surge through me, and my eyes welled up with tears. I couldn't stop it, a feeling of joy, but also regret, a feeling of deep, unending love, but also a deep sense of the need to repent. It seemed like a light had come on, even though the room was still pitch black. I had this all wrong, I thought. Yes, the world is broken, depraved, in a violent place, but the Bible says that Jesus healed people. He transformed them. He hung out among the worst of them, and he forgave them. Then I felt a divine presence in the room. Shivers ran up and down my spine. The Holy Spirit was there. Jesus, I cried out. I've worshipped myself, but it's empty. I don't want to live another moment apart from you. I give my life to you. Please forgive my pride, make me one of yours, and adopt me into your family. Then I laid on the floor, my face before God, and sobbed all night. Every tear washed away a memory of rebellion, a harsh word, and indiscretion. I didn't care whether anyone in the hallway next door could hear me. I wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ. That question that night, what would the world be like without Jesus, caused Stu to choose to follow Jesus and accept his grace, eventually leading him to leave the business world and become a pastor. Interestingly enough, though I heard of Stu's story through a national outlet, his church is also one of the churches that supports our ministry partners, the Maxwells in Kenya. But what would this world be like without Jesus? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? I'm not just talking about the skylines being different without the steeples. But what would this world be like without Jesus? And even more so, what would this world be like without the church? Without God's influence through God's people, how would the world be different? That very question stirred Jeremiah Johnson enough that he wrote an entire book on the subject called Unimaginable, 
what our world would be like without Christianity. And in the book, he points out how Christianity has stood against slavery and racism, eugenics, and injustices towards women and children. He states why freedom has a universal value and modern education and legal systems owe so much to Christianity. He also talks about how Christians throughout the ages have demonstrated the value of human life by sacrificially caring for the sick, the marginalized, and the dying. And how people of faith are extending God's kingdom through charities, mental health initiatives, and other ways. The world would be a different place without Christianity. That would not be a better place. It would be far, far worse. But how about your life? What would your life be like without Christ? What would your life be like without Christianity? What would your life be like without the church? Even though my family didn't go to church when I was young, I think early on about my grandma and the influences she had on my life. And she would take us to church. She would take my sister and I to church while my parents stayed home. And I think about those values, those stories that were instilled in me, not only through the six years that I had with her, but through seeing her suffer as a person who suffered from leukemia for 10 years before it took her life. And I think about the endurance that I witnessed in that woman. And I know that I am a better person for seeing it. I think about how when I was eight years old, my marriage was radically saved by Christ and through the church, Westside Christian, where they found Christ. And I think about how different maybe my life would be without all those different people that we rub shoulders with in that church, all the people who helped heal my parents' marriage, the people who were youth sponsors, even though I was a little bit rowdy, all the different things that people did to sacrifice on behalf of my family. And I think about my life, I think especially of my wife and our kids, how our blessed our marriages because of the Christian principles, and more importantly, because of the common walk with Christ that we share. Without any of that, what would hold us together? How would we raise our kids without Christ at the center? I say all of this, church, Because without the church, I'm firmly convinced the world would be an utter disaster. And I suspect your life would be an utter disaster as well, wouldn't it? The reality is, is we need the church. We need the work of the church so that we can carry on the faith and the message of Jesus Christ. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that it's utterly impossible for the church to have arisen the way that it did, with a group that the Bible calls uneducated, ordinary men at its helm, then make its way through three solid centuries of persecution, early on today becoming the largest religion in the world that has made impacts on everything from the founding of democracy to the abolition of slavery to the establishment of the nuclear family. Yet how is it that the founding church of God has become an important force, an unstoppable force in our world? How did it get there? And so today I want to take a look at the birth of the church to help us see how it grew from an impossible start 
to an unstoppable force. And we pick up the story in Acts, the first chapter. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Wouldn't you love to just been a fly on the wall in the room during those 40 days? To know what he taught them? What he spoke about? But then about 10 days after his ascension, the church started. Here's how it happened how a group of untrained, ordinary men went on to change the world. So how did the early church go from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force? The first thing that we see is prayer. We always got to start with prayer, right? This is kind of like one of those Sunday school answers. But what we see in the Bible is this isn't just something that we should do because we feel guilty to do it. But that prayer is the very lifeblood of who we are. That if we're not connected with God in prayer, then we cannot have that unstoppable force. And so we see that the disciples, the early church was devoted to prayer. Before the church ever started, we see that they were gathered together in a room in Jerusalem. And it says in Acts 1.14 that they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Prayer is absolutely foundational. You show me a place where God is moving and we'll go there and we'll roll back the curtain and we'll see the people who are praying behind the scenes. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous preacher from the 19th century who had his sermons published in the New York Times. Can you imagine that if the New York Times were to publish sermons today? That thousands of people in his church before there was any electronic amplification to hear the message. And yet one day when he was asked the secret of his church, he took the people who were asking not to the pulpit, not to the worship center, but he took them down to the boiler room. And there in the boiler room sat dozens upon dozens of people praying together while he preached. People who were committed to praying for the power of the message. And that, Spurgeon said, is the secret to his church. Did you know that yesterday when I came in here to church at about 10 a.m. for a couple of meetings, that when I pulled in the parking lot, there were already cars here on a Saturday morning, and that there were people both in the church and in the parking lot walking around and praying, praying for our church, praying for me, praying for you, praying for us. And this morning, between services, there was another group of people who gathered back in our offices, and they prayed together for the work of this church. They prayed for you who would be hearing the message right now, that God would be at work in you and through you. And then last year, rather than deciding to have two elders' meetings a month, as we traditionally had done, our elders made the decision to go down to one meeting a month for business, and to turn the other meeting into a prayer meeting, because we believe that God's power is in prayer. We believe that we need to be not just a people who are obedient to prayer, but we believe that we need to be a people who thrive in prayer, who are devoted to prayer not out of merely guilt, 
but we are devoted to prayer out of joy because we long to see God do the unstoppable in our lives. Well, the early church went from impossible dream to an unstoppable force, partially because of prayer, but there's something even bigger going on behind the scenes that holds this all together. The second thing that we see happening, how the early church went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. How else would Peter have gone from denying Jesus to just 50-some days later, boldly proclaiming the gospel to a point where 3,000 people changed their lives around? In less than two months, how do you do that? And the answer is, is it wasn't Peter. Oh, it was Peter doing it, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit who was empowering him. Jesus gave these instructions while the disciples were still confused about what was happening and Jesus was ready to ascend into heaven. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 2 verses 1 through 4, we see that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were saying, I think they would have said a sound that, a sound that sounded like a freight train, but they didn't have trains back then. But I've got trains on my mind today for some reason. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. In this passage, meaning languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And so here you have these uneducated people who maybe know one or two languages. And all of a sudden, they're speaking languages that they don't even know. That, that when they go out of the room, other people hear them speaking. They say, hey, that's, that's my language. These people, they're Galileans. How would they know my language? Rosetta Stone didn't exist yet. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as much as I love the gifts of the Spirit and the gifts that each of us have, what I love even more than the gifts of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that when we walk in the Holy Spirit that we bear. The fruit that flows through us, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control. I probably forgot one somewhere in there, but you get the drift. The early church went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And in your life, how are you making room for the Holy Spirit? How is it in the life of our church that we're making way for the Holy Spirit? Hopefully, it starts in prayer. It starts by saying, God, we need you. We can't do this on our own. Life is impossible without you. The church went from an unstoppable dream, impossible dream to an unstoppable force through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's even something more going on behind the scenes that we haven't seen yet. The third thing that we see how it went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force is by bold proclamation or by the preaching of the word. In Acts 2, Peter's just getting started here. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs 
which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let me be very clear here. The bold proclamation of the early church was not get your morality together. The bold proclamation of the early church was not you need to figure your life out. The bold proclamation of the early church was that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and on the third day He was raised to life so that you and I could receive the forgiveness of sins and have eternal hope. The message of this church, first and foremost, was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And in this politically divided culture that we have, Let me suggest to you that we as the church need to get back to the main message. The main message is not that LGBTQ people need to get their lives figured out. It's that Jesus loves them, first and foremost. The message is not, what should we do about all the people who are crossing the southern border? The message is is that Jesus loves them, first and foremost. The message is not that you should have this morality about your life, and once you do, you will somehow be loved. The message is that Jesus loves you as you are and longs to transform your life and to give you hope and a future. It is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And church, we cannot get away from that message. Jesus must be central to everything that we do and every word that we speak with our bold proclamation. But even with that bold proclamation, there's something more going on behind the scenes. Another thing that we see going on that took the church from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force is the promise and purpose of God. When the people heard this, Peter's message that is, They were cut to the heart and said to other apostles, Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, Peter didn't get yet that you're supposed to have an invitation hymn and sing six verses of Just As I Am. Jesus apparently left that part out when he taught them that, okay? And so Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is another way of saying, Set a different purpose for your life. Reset the purpose of your life around Jesus Christ. Repentance isn't merely feeling sorry for yourself, feeling sorry for what you did, but repentance is literally to make a U-turn with your life. And then it goes on to talk about the promise. He says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Church, do you realize that God is keeping His promise through us? God's promise, all the way back to the times of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, was that He would bless Abraham so that Abraham's people would be a blessing to all nations. 
not just Israel, not just Israel and a few surrounding nations, not just Israel and Rome, but all nations. All means all. And so what we see happening is that throughout the scriptures, it's developed to the idea here when Jesus comes about that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one through whom all nations will be blessed. That is God's promise that is kept to his people. And now it's our promise that we must keep. God's promise. God wants to work in you and through you to share the promise of God with all people. That means your neighbor, who you don't necessarily get along with. You're still fighting over that fence they refuse to paint. That means your boss, who you don't like all the time. Sometimes you wonder if you like them at all. That means your family members, who you struggle to pick up the phone and call. God's promise is for all. And we must be a people who see that the promise of God is for everyone. That means we've got to put our big boy pants on sometimes, or our big boy overalls, I suspect. And we've got to be the bigger people. And we've got to take the message of Christ to them. And more importantly, we've got to embody the message of Christ through our love and through our humility, through turning the other cheek. And as important as the promise and the purpose of God is, it's not the biggest thing going on behind the scenes. We see there's a bigger purpose. But first, we see that going from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force required the transformed people of God. The transformed people of God. It says, after Peter got that invitation him figured out, that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that those people, that early church, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders, signs performed by the apostles. Oh, church, that we would be filled with awe at the work of God again today. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We've witnessed how you all have made those sacrifices over these last several months and celebrate that today. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we see that the church went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through bold proclamation, through the promise and purpose of God, and through the transformed people of God. But in order to really capture why the church, why this happened to the church, we have to look at some wisdom from a very unlikely source. The real reason why the church went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force, is told to us not by a disciple, not by Jesus, not by one of his followers. The real reason the church went from impossible 
to unstoppable comes from a Pharisee. And I want to suggest to you that what we're going to hear today is the wisest thing you will ever hear come from the lips of a Pharisee. In fact, it may be the only wise thing that you ever hear coming from a Pharisee. But Peter and John have gotten in trouble again for spreading the gospel message, and they've been brought before this group, the Sanhedrin. But in the middle of being brought before them on trial, it says that a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men, meaning the disciples, be put outside for a little while. They needed to have a little powwow. They needed to have a little talk, a come-to-Jesus moment. Well, they probably didn't have that. But it says, Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. They'd been thinking about beating them. They'd been thinking about imprisoning them. They'd thought about killing them, just like they killed Jesus. That didn't work, though, did it? And so this Pharisee gives them this advice. I advise you... Leave these men alone. Let them go. And then listen to this. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. Did you hear that? If it is from God, their work will be unstoppable. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And church, that is what we see is that the early church went from an impossible dream to an unstoppable force because their purpose was from God. And church, what I want to share with you today more than anything else is that we can go from an impossible situation that we found ourselves in financially over the last couple of years to being an unstoppable force in our community. Why? Because our purpose, our calling is from God himself. And if this is of God, it cannot and will not fail. And we believe... We believe that the work of God is just getting started on the east side of Columbus and Blackwick and all the areas that surround it, and that God wants to reach our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers for Him. That's the whole reason behind this unstoppable campaign. It's not about us. It's not about having nicer parking lots to drive on, although it is nice from time to time not to dig yourself out of a pothole. It's not about reducing the dead, although that, that sure is nice. It's about all these kids who were up here this morning. It's about the next generation who we can send out from this church to be gold, bold, gospel, bold gospel messengers, to live their lives authentically for Jesus in a world that is walking away from Him. It's about us coming together as a church and saying, this is the most important thing we can do, is to work together for the good of the gospel. Because this is the most meaningful thing we can do, is to preach the message of salvation to all. It's because there are people in this world who need loved. There are people who never experienced the love that I had from my grandma, and from my home church, and from my wife and my kids. There are people who have questioned that love and their identity, whether God truly loves them.
And we must be here to tell them that He does. And He will keep loving them forever and ever. Church, that's how we go from being in an impossible situation to being an unstoppable force is because God has called us. God has set us apart to be His chosen people, not for us, but for the whole world. And so church, may we remember whenever we are in face with the most impossible situations, whether it be debt or whether it be cancer or whether it be death itself, that our God is unstoppable. Let's pray. God, you are truly our unstoppable God. You are the one who we look to and who we trust in, knowing that we are about your purposes. Forgive us, Lord, for looking to ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we tried to do it in our own strength. And Lord, we remember how Peter was transformed in just such a short amount of time simply by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize today that that same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus, that lived in Simon Peter, the early church, lives in us today and is empowering us. And so, Father, give us the boldness the boldness to proclaim your message of love and reconciliation and freedom to this entire world. Start with our neighbors, start with our homes, start with our families, start with our friends, start in our jobs. But Lord, may we boldly proclaim the true message that the work of Jesus is unstoppable and that his love is uncontainable. We know you'll be with us as we go. And so we look to you to lead us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Hey, as we wrap up this service today, uh, I want to say thank you if you are a guest with us today for coming and for worshiping and celebrating with us today. We don't shoot off confetti every week, but we like to on occasion. Uh, and if you're a guest with us, I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be back out in the foyer in the entryway. I'm the guy wearing the bib overalls. I think I'm the only one here today. I'm kind of disappointed nobody else dressed up in their bib overalls, but that's okay. Uh, so I would love to meet you and to greet you and to get to know more about who you are. Uh, and if you are newer to East Point, and if you're looking to find out more about East Point or possibly to join our church or to follow Christ in baptism, we have uh, something called the Taste of East Point that's coming up next Sunday. It's after our second service, it's, so that's to about 12.15. It includes a free meal. We'd love to have you come and join us for a Taste of East Point. chance for you to learn more about the church, our vision, to ask some questions about who we are, get to meet some other people who are connected with our church. Uh, you can just simply show up to that event next Sunday, uh, 12.15 p.m., immediately following second service in our church atrium. Next, we have our church rummage sale coming up uh, on Saturday, April 30th, this coming Saturday from 8 to 2. Uh, and if you are looking to either get rid of some stuff or come get some stuff, you have come to the right place. 
Uh, and so all of the funds that go uh, to raise, uh, that are raised from our rummage sale goes to help uh, our youth uh, and uh, those who are attending church camp or CIY conference. Uh, those things have made a big difference in my life. Uh, and uh, we look forward to sending our kids out. And so it's a great opportunity for you to come and to support by either giving or by buying stuff, which not very often you can buy stuff and help people out, but there's a real chance to do so. Uh, and then finally, on, uh, uh, with the rummage sale, if you want more details about when you can drop stuff off, you can drop stuff off on Wednesday through Friday. The times where you can drop stuff off is on our website. Uh, just go there to eastpointchristian.com events, uh, and you should find information about the rummage sale. And finally, uh, we have a date night coming up on Friday, May 6th. The kids uh, and the youth have gotten involved in the stewardship campaign, and they want to help too. And so they're offering to watch your kids so you can go out on a date night. Uh, it's all based on a donation, uh, but we would love to have you come join us Friday, May 6th from 6 to 9 p.m. Get some friends together and go out if you'd like together. be a great opportunity to celebrate together. All right, that's all I have for you today. So would you stand with me, uh, and uh, we will bless you uh, as you prepare to go. May the Lord bless you with the hope that His power is unstoppable, and that because His power is unstoppable, that you can become the person that God has called you to be, and that we can be the people that God has called us to be together. Amen.